Hello and welcome to episode 382 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox. We're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you want to be LSAT famous, share some news or ask some questions on our website, thinkinglsat.com. This will air Monday, December 26th. Tomorrow is the registration deadline for the February 2023 LSAT. What do we have to say about that, Nathan? Well, just generally, you got to keep an eye on these registration deadlines. Ideally, I think there's no reason to sign up until essentially the deadline. Your practice tests will tell you where you're at. If you're happy with your practice tests, you got the deadline for this February test coming up, you know, probably sign up for it. If you're not happy with your practice tests, probably don't. But we wanted to also talk about refunds and test date changes. We, we had to look it up to refresh ourselves, uh, refresh our memories on this. How, how does it go down if you decide you want to change dates or withdraw? Yeah, so assuming you're registered for the February 2023 LSAT and you decide that you want to get out of that, as long as you cancel before the registration deadline tomorrow, you can get a free refund. You can also change your test date, move it forward to another test for free. After that, though, it's going to cost you some money. Uh, a lot of money. They have yeah. this partial refund program where it's it's like 10 days after the registration deadline. If you decide that you want to uh, withdraw, get get a for for a refund, they have this partial refund policy but the partial refund is only $50 on a registration fee of 210 now. 215? Yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just such a small partial refund that it's like yeah, you basically want to just don't sign up unless you're ready and if you look at your practice tests right now and the deadline is tomorrow and you're 15 points away from your goal you got to be realistic and just say, hey, I'm not going to be ready. Why would I waste time, money and one of my limited number of attempts to take the test? I got to just withdraw here and you'll get all your money back as long as you do that before the deadline. If you do it one day after the deadline, then you're going to be out one hundred and sixty five dollars. Yeah. What if you're closer than that? You said, hey, look, you're 15 points away from what you want to get on the official test. What if you're five or eight? It kind of depends. If some of the data points in your recent study history, like if you have a couple scores in there where you're like, whoa, if I got that, I would be set. Like I've gone to the scholarship estimator. I know what I could expect if I'm able to get that number on my LSAT and yeah, that would be great for me, then, you know, you can probably go ahead and take take it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take too many of those nice high-end data points to justify, I think, an official attempt. But if if not one of them is in that range, you know, if you know you need a 170, let's say, and you have not yet scored any 170s on your practice tests, then I don't know. I, I don't... Unless you're feeling like you're making very rapid progress, I, I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, you can always pay the $215 to preserve the option to take it as long as you're willing to walk away and lose that money. The big challenge there, of course, is the money. And of course, will you just be tempted to take it when you're really not ready? 
right? <laughs> because I think that's the semi worst. committed. Yeah, that it's just inertia is so powerful. We're we mm -hmm. are creatures of habit and we are creatures of like the things that we do. We just keep on doing those things. Yep. And so when you sign up for a test, I mean, how many times do we have kids coming to us who are like they signed up six months ago for the LSAT? They they're it's one month to go before the test. And now they're going to begin their prep mm -hmm. because, you know, it's like, well, that's my test date. That's my test date. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I own that. You know what? It yeah. reminds me of the the um, Thaler, uh, the psychological economics experiments where they with the stupid coffee mugs. You remember this mm -hmm. one where, oh, they're worth more. <laughs> how much would Once you pay you... for this mug? Yeah. People are like mug. Huh? A dollar? I don't know. Two dollars. Yeah. It's no, like I shit. I don't it. like that yeah. mug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have too many mugs. Um, but they did a random experiment. They randomly gave the mugs to some mm -hmm. participants. And then it was, oh, how much would you uh, sell the mug for? Mm. And the people who already own the mug are naming way higher prices like they like the mug now for whatever reason. They prefer the mug because yeah. they already have it. Yeah. Which is so stupid. And so, I mean, I, that's we all are susceptible to that error of cogn cognition. Yeah. So don't sign up for a test unless you are confident that you're going to be ready and i think the only way that you can be confident that you're going to be ready is by essentially practice tests showing that you're ready yep there's not not really any point in doing it any other way yeah uh, okay good well you can find all those test dates at lsat.link forward slash dates all right let's jump in we have our first email from des says, good morning, Ben and Nathan. I will be attending Yale Law School under the funded law education program next fall. Parentheses, full tuition and fees at any school, plus my regular paycheck, about a $350,000 to $400,000 stipend, essentially. I'd love for you to mention me on one of your podcasts. I'm a black first gen, low income. I got Pell Grants in college. Active duty military applicant who scored 169 on my third take thanks to LSAT Demon. I have a 3.86 GPA. My diagnostic was 156 and I only had a few months to study while working. I did have practice tests in the 170s, including a 177, but it never came together on game day. Uh, and then Des gives a link to a Reddit post. Very respectfully, Des. One quote from that Reddit post that we wanted to read, it says, um, I am a big aesthetics and UI guy, and I don't think any other service comes close to what LSAT Demon offers. I also enjoy the bluntness and no nonsense, but I understand that's not for everyone. If I could have taken the LSAT again, I would have until I I would have continued to take it until I had an official 99th percentile score. In hindsight, it doesn't matter but I truly believe retakes will never hurt. We just wanted to point out there, editor Eric points out there that uh, this is someone who got into literal Yale and still wishes that they had taken the test again. I'm not exactly sure why. Um, I think maybe Des is just saying strategically, if the, if I could have taken it again, yeah, I, I could just keep going and eventually I'm, I know I'm going to get that 99th percentile score. Uh, retakes will never record. hurt. Right. That's the point. Retakes will never yeah. hurt. 
And so, okay, take it again. Not going to hurt you, but it could help you. And even though it wouldn't help Des here, it's going to help so many people. I am curious, Eric, what you mean by literal Yale. I'm trying to imagine the figurative <laughs> Yale, but yeah, very cool that Des got into Yale. Yeah, that is amazing. Congratulations, Des. Glad we could help you get there. Um, you did all the hard work, of course. So uh, congratulations. Keep us posted. Let us know how it goes uh, over at Yale. Ben, I wanted to congratulate you and thank you and the team for making the aesthetics and the UI of LSAT Demon so damn good. It's kind of it makes me chuckle every time to think about that, That because I know mm -hmm. where we came from. Right. Like it's just so yeah. <laughs> like you had your tiny little business. I had my tiny little business and the next and. Like I could see how we could certainly compete on content, but the fact that we now also have like the best technological product and the best yeah. looking and everything is like, wow, yeah. that's so amazing. How, how did that happen again? Who was the guy? Yeah. So we hired Stefan, awesome, awesome guy in New York who also redesigned Spotify's interface a couple years ago. And then he helped us with the demon. So amazing. And Kickstarter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So sh uh, shout out to uh, Stefan and uh, thanks, Ben, to you and the team. Um, yeah. OK. Hey, come to our free classes. I teach a free class uh, for now every other Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. The next one coming up Thursday, December 29th, you can come to a class on score plateaus. So it's called Overcoming Score Plateaus. I think that that one probably doesn't need any um discussion everybody asks these questions all the time about plateaus if you want to come hear our thoughts on how to break out of that thursday december 29th go to lsat.link nathan if you want to sign up for that free class what else we got coming up i oh, want to guess one of your tips i want to guess okay i'm guessing you're gonna say at some point in the class that plateaus are a belief not a real thing yeah, I always it's like you come to <laughs> shit from me and it's like the step one is like, well, I don't know if this is real at all. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, let's do a 10 minute digression on, you know, math and then uh, we'll come back and talk about. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of other or math stuff or the just the psychological belief, right, that you yeah. see something and then you start to imagine that it's there. And if it. The fact that you sure. believe it's there yeah. is what makes you confirmation bias, yeah, self-reinforcing uh, yeah. beliefs. Yeah. All, all that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, link slash Nathan. If you want to hear, uh, come to that class. I hope you will. They're, they're super fun. I really like having the big audiences uh, on zoom. So come talk to me. Uh, Saturday, January 7th, we are doing a free proctored practice test. Wednesday, January 11th, we are doing a pre it's called a pre-test pump up with uh, Lily. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be Lily hosting and a, a whole bunch of our other LSAT demon teachers will be there. If you want to. Boy, that's a great opportunity, by the way, to meet a whole bunch of people who started from wherever they started, made a ton of improvement using LSAT demon, scored 170 something and now teach for us. If you mm -hmm. want to come meet a bunch of those folks and learn how maybe someday you could join their ranks, go to that, that pre-test pump up on Wednesday, January 11th. Yeah. And if you want to find any of these classes that we talk about, go to lsatdemon.com forward slash classes or just lsatdemon.com. You want to read this next one uh, from Anonymous? Yeah. 
The subject is cringing at sending LSAC my medical history to receive accommodations. Hi guys, thanks for creating The Demon, it's a great tool. This topic has likely been addressed here before. However, I'm cringing so hard, so I have to ask, dot, dot. Who will see these med records that I'm sharing with LSAC? I'm asking for accommodations for depression, anxiety, PTSD, and I have a pile of really personal stuff here. Cringe, cringe. Before you judge my educational fitness, I'm a STEM major with an MS and a couple publications. Could this come back to haunt me on character and fitness? Do I have to report all this shit now? I've never been hospitalized, but I do have a therapist and a psychiatrist. Am I safe sharing these records with LSAC when I would hesitate to show them to anyone? This probably goes without saying, but accommodations could make all the difference for me. P.S. I will not write about this stuff in my personal statement. LOL. Thanks, Anonymous. Okay. In the end, um, who's going to see these? And uh, You got to ask LSAC that question. I mean, yeah. and it's, I, by the way, I would bet that it's already on their website. If it's not, they are going to have policies about how they handle this type of information. Right. Don't you I would, think ben? I would? I, I'm sure they have policies. Absolutely. And I would imagine given HIPAA and all that stuff out there, that LSAC is going to be pretty sensitive with this information. That's my it's, guess. Hey, it like it's a by lawyers for lawyers whole. Company, yeah, they're not going to have know. a Wild West system like, oh, well, <laughs> no. that's <laughs> that's for anybody who wants to log in and look <laughs> at it. Yeah, they have a legal department. And so this is a question that they're going to they would be they're going to explain it to you. They're going to answer all your questions. Uh, we could only speculate. But again, my guess is that they are going to handle this stuff as sensitive as sensitively as, you know, really is reasonably possible. Hey, here's an idea for you. Accommodations are relatively easy to get these days. Why not submit the information that's required, but nothing more? I know you may not know what is required, but you could always start with whatever your doctor thinks is necessary. We know for sure that it does not take a hundred page report. It takes it takes like literally a note from your doctor. Yeah, this person has anxiety and ADHD. Give them extra time and they get it. So do we need to go into the details or the history of that? (laughs) Yeah. And I. Yeah. Right. I I totally agree. I would say apply with the bare minimum. There's always an appeal if the bare minimum doesn't get it done. Also, you got to you got to remember that there are thousands of people sharing all this information with LSAC all the time. Yep. And uh, I mean, who knows what you're actually worried about? But if you're worried about like a law school is kind of somehow find out that you had PTSD and hold that against you. I, I think you're overthinking it. I mean, unless you bring it to their attention, I don't, I don't think it's going to come to their attention. Yeah. I also not sure how that's a character and fitness issue. I, I don't know that you did anything wrong. That's just a, a condition you had to deal with. Yeah. And those, those medical issues are not going to be held against you as a, yeah, that's not a character and fitness thing. I think you're good. All right. This next one is a New York times article that 
Eric pasted in here about college tuition cuts. Uh, the title is a sign that tuition is too high. Some colleges are slashing it in half. Okay. Oh, I actually sent this article to you via yeah, text. Yeah, I never got around. You sent me two articles back to back. I got around to reading <laughs> one of them, but I didn't read the other one. Um, I, I, I did see the yeah. headline on this one. Thank you. And also thanks, Eric, for uh, bringing it to our attention. Yeah. The subhead here, Colby Sawyer in New Hampshire has reduced its tuition to $17,500 a year from about $46,000 a year. But... The cut is also a recognition that few pay the list price. I, I'm stumbling over the construction there because. But yeah, it seems like. Well, and the also. Because, yeah. You're right. I mean, well, oh, they, yeah. they, they could have just said <laughs> the cut is a recognition that few pay the list price. Yeah. Now you're explaining it, but it's like, but in contrast and also in addition. Yeah. <laughs> Strange. Okay. But this is this is important, right? I mean, we've been saying this for so long and we keep seeing it on the 509 reports that somewhere, sometimes upwards of 99% of these law school classes are paying, are getting scholarships. 90%, 99% of the class is not paying the list price. This is happening in undergrad as well. And that's what this article focuses on. But wow, dropping tuition from 46,000 down to 17 1500 is a huge drop and just reveals how silly the 46,000 is. You this can drop your price is, that much, right? Yeah. And still exist and still make money yeah. and survive. It doesn't like what was the 46,000? It was well, a joke. Li listen to this. Colby Sawyer has joined a growing number of small private colleges in what's called the tuition reset, which overhauls prices to reflect what most students actually pay after discounting through need-based and merit-based financial aid. The reset is part marketing move and part reality check. It is frank recognition among some lesser-known colleges that their prices are something of a feint. They are high in part <clears throat> to mimic the price tag of the most elite colleges and universities, suggesting that this is an education worth paying for. But in reality, the prices are not based in fact. At Colby Sawyer, every student gets a discount. We've been complaining about this about law schools. I mean, this exact same shit happens at law schools. Even law schools that are commonly mentioned as some of the best law schools in the country. I mean, this happens yeah. at top 14 law schools. Up and down the ladder. Yep. So this is not any surprise to us at all. It is uh, sad, I guess, to realize that it's also happening all the time in undergrad education. Yeah. Ben and <laughs> Ben has uh, kids who are about to get to college age or already at college age. I have a niece who I love to pieces, who's a sophomore in high school. When those kids get to the point where they're going to start deciding where to go to college, I'm going to be all over this shit. Just saying like, hey, really, are you it can't be worth that much money. Yeah, well, we my one son has already gotten several acceptances so far. And my first question is always like, OK, great. They accepted you, but. Now we're waiting. We're waiting for that price to drop, yeah, right? What the are they actually going to try? <laughs> yeah. I know I'm getting acceptances. I know I'm getting many acceptances. Yeah, that's not the game we're playing. Who, here. What's the price? Yeah. 
Um, okay, so now listen to this. So there's a we got this Susan D. Stubner, president of Colby Sawyer in mm. the article. Yep. Quote, I don't want to call it a game because it's not a game, said Susan D. Stubner, president of Colby Sawyer. But this phenomenon in higher education of a high sticker price, high discount is so confusing to families. They liked that quote so much that they pulled it out like they made it. They put it as the caption for the picture of President Stubner. Yeah. Yeah. But that quote, I don't want to call it a game because it's not a game. Okay. Then what is it? Yeah. It it's predatory pricing behavior. I mean, it's um it's a scam. <laughs> I mean, like we could think of other words. Yeah. But it's like you know, she's trying to say, oh, well, you know, a game makes it so it's a tri- trivializes it or whatever. But oh, not- no, this is serious. This is a real matter. We got to take care of it. But <laughs> but OK, but you've known that you're doing this for forever. And I mean, I'm definitely not picking on her particularly because her school. I mean, I guess being part of the reset is better than not being part of the reset. Yes, it's coming to grips with reality, although. I imagine they are pretending and maybe it is partly motivated by a desire to do things better or right, but also how much of this is just a reality check for them. They're not going to succeed without, this is a part of their game. Actually, they're going to say, Oh, let's spin it as we are the true price, (laughs) right? How much of this is just a marketing plan because they're losing the other game. They're losing the discount game. Yeah. And they tried to play the so it it goes on later and it talks about the um, Chivas effect where it's like if you just take uh, you take a mediocre um, scotch and you jack up the price and all of a sudden now your product is more in demand because people think it's fancy. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so this is I think it's an acknowledgement that this school and others have been trying to play that same game. You know, I'm going to charge a Harvard price and make people think that Colby Sawyer is a elite, you know, um, institution. And then, but in order to entice people to come here, I end up giving discounts. It says literally every single student at Colby Sawyer gets a discount. So they're not charging that actual price. They're just discounting it for everybody. Economists call it price discrimination. It's a very smart pricing strategy for firms. Yep. I'm glad that there's some light being shed on this issue. Yeah. I wish it would carry over into law schools. Anything else? That's all. Yeah. Uh, What's this? This next thing is about um, applicant applications inside of LSAC or inside of, yeah, the SAS system. Yeah. So it's so Brittany um, took screenshots of an application And so this is from Brittany, a bunch of screenshots and some commentary from it looks like we've got a note here from Eric right up right off the top. There are we've covered several issues in the past that that are related on past episodes. We can kind of talk about some stuff that we've talked about on those shows by looking through the applications. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Note from Eric, this is basically the same on all applications. Law schools know if you've applied before. 
Dean Z addresses reapplications here. Uh, there's a link to her show. According to Dean Z, being a reapplicant doesn't hurt you. It indicates strong interest in the school. Well, okay, but doesn't mean it helps you either. Yeah. However, it says Michigan keeps past applications on file for two years. If you raised a big red flag in your personal statement the first time you applied, that isn't going away. That's an interesting way to think about it, huh? That like anything in your application can keep you out. Yes. I mean, if you're applying again, that most likely means that you were rejected the first time. So anything in that previous application is more likely to hurt you than to help you. Unless you got accepted and you're now applying again. And the question is, why did you not accept their acceptance the first time? My point being here is don't read too much into this. It's not, it's like you said, I think a few episodes ago, it's a, it's one of those answer choices that can go in both directions. It can yeah. help you and hurt you. So it does, let's just be clear that it does nothing. Too many people are like, oh, apply now and then apply again. We've heard this from parents recently, different sets of parents saying apply and then apply again. Cause boy, it's going to look good that you applied twice. It's like, no, I don't know where that idea originated, but Stop thinking about it. Apply with your best foot forward. So apparently this is just a basic application. We've got stuff on. So, yeah, biographical contact information, demographics, family, your standardized tests, questions about military, if it applies, questions about your education, your employment, law school interest. What is that now? Is that what prompted you statement? to apply to this law school? Oh, this is just, yeah, where did you hear about us? Oh. Did okay. you hear about us on the internet? Oh, where? From the ABA? From law school? <laughs> what? From LSAC? From other? Wow, that law school. I heard about you from law school. <laughs> How about the estimator? That's where people should be hearing about law schools. Why the hell is Princeton Review listed down here under publications that you might have does Princeton, I guess Princeton Review does a thing about law schools or something? Weird. Okay, so here's the question. Yeah, have you previously applied to this law school? Yes or no? If you applied previously, what year was the application for? Oh, and you have to say yes or no whether you were offered admission. Hmm. Interesting. These financial information questions... Brittany says, I've seen this a few times this cycle, but only some schools are asking for financial information. So this number 14, financial information, here are the questions that, uh, this is University of Montana, by the way. So here they're, what they're asking. Have you or will you complete a FAFSA? Yes or no. Would you like to be considered for a merit-based scholarship? Yes or no. Do you anticipate using any Veterans Affairs education and training benefits? Yes or no? Ooh, interesting. All three of those are, are, are interesting, I would say. Yeah, for the first one, I would say, wait, do I need to fill out a FAFSA? I guess if you're saying that you have or you will, you're indicating that you're likely to not... <laughs> have financial means yeah i mean only the i mean isn't everyone gonna say yes to that except for if you're like really ultra wealthy yeah so i guess if you say no or and yeah no could be a signal that you're like paying cash you know 
Yeah, or you don't know what the hell is going on and how to do this. Yeah, it could be, yeah, or not know what the FAFSA even is. Yeah. Or how it applies. Yeah. Okay. Would you like to be considered for a merit-based scholarship? How about that? That's interesting, because if you say no, you're just screaming... (laughs) I want to go to your school and I'm <laughs> I, willing to pay anything to yeah, get in. Your answers to these, I mean, that question right there. And you know what? The other two could just be there. I mean, I guess they do As want a to distraction. know. The military <laughs> thing, they do want to know, right? Yeah. But that middle question, they just sneak it in there. Hey, would you <laughs> like to be considered for merit-based scholarships? And you're like, nah, I'm good. Nah, I don't, I'm good. I don't expect yeah. anything like that. What? How nah. many people say no to that? That's what I <laughs> want to know. Because anyone who says no, the school's going to be like, hmm, okay, well. That one goes like, it triggers an email directly to the whole admissions committee and the dean. It goes it's right like, to the top, right? The, <laughs> do you want and this this guy you hear the not? cash register or like the slot machine noise, you know, the ching, 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 all the coins just coming out. <laughs> it was the second it says no, it just like puts you in the presumptive admit pile. And like, I was accepted two minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> do you hmm. anticipate using any vet? I mean, yeah, so we're going to answer yes to that always, right? I mean, answering no. To the merit. Yeah, yeah, of course. That would be awesome to see. I want someone to apply to this school with like terrible numbers and click no on that and see if they get get an offer. Um, I bet with the right numbers, I bet they have a number. And if you say yes, or if you say no to will you, do you want merit-based scholarships? And you say no. And your numbers are above a certain thing, boom, it's automatic acceptance. Yeah, I, I yes, I agree. <laughs> I would think that that, I mean, if they're paying attention at all to their own application, that yeah. question that they're, that's a very valuable question from their yeah. perspective. Like we just read this whole thing about colleges and their fake tuitions. This is exactly the game that's being played at all the law schools. And uh, well, I mean, I guess let's see, we got to look up University of Montana now because this is a 509 <laughs> that we don't look at very often, huh? Nope. Does Montana have a law school? Apparently so. University of Montana ranked 103rd in the country by U.S. News. Apparently <laughs> they got 550 applications last year for 225 offers of admission, which ultimately yielded 79 enrollees. Median LSAT 156, median GPA 3.5. Oh my God. And their 509 is fucked up. (laughs) Total number of students, three. Total number receiving grants, 165 of them. (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) 5,500% of our students are receiving grants. That's broken. I don't know what we did to reconcile. Do you know what Brittany does when she fixes that data? I'm very curious for the scholarship estimator. I don't know, but we can see. Yeah. Maybe she calls the schools. Sometimes people have called the schools. I do know that. I wonder if it's just the total number of students number there that's wrong. That could totally be the total number of students at this school should actually be like 200. And yeah, okay. of those 165 are getting grants, 134 of them are getting less than half tuition. 31 are getting somewhere between half and full tuition. It's not a, you know, their tuition isn't crazy high. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody's going to go there unless they're serious about like living in Montana, I think. 
Yeah, I just looked it up. Um, we're just recalculating the percentages based on the total number of students. We're ignoring their percentages. Wait, but the total number of students is wrong. Yes. They have total number of students as three. So where yes. do we get that number? Um, I would imagine it's somewhere else on here, right? We have JD enrollment totals per year in the like race breakdown. Do you see that in the table? Oh, total that? enrollment 248. Okay, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Looks like we based it off of that. Okay. Well, you would think that somebody at the law school would catch that that's been this is last year's right the new ones just came out am i right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. this is last year's yeah so it's been a full year of this and they still have that broken five and nine report i mean this is 500 people sorry what did we say 200 something people at the school i mean it's entirely possible that all 248 of them have even never even heard of a 509 before yeah okay <laughs> there that's what they're hoping for they don't <laughs> i mean they don't want you to have that information about how many scholarships they're giving that's not good for them yeah all right what's next okay we got an email from taylor i will read it subject is i found you too late hi ben and nathan i have a couple of questions that might be interesting regarding my situation i found you guys a few weeks ago and have been listening to the pod every day since your perspectives on law school admissions have changed my entire thought process about when and how I should be applying. The idea of going to law school for free never even occurred to me until I found you. I'd like to become an estate planning attorney, which makes debt-free law school all the more important because it's a relatively, it is relatively a less lucrative field. Really? Estate planning? It just depends on your clientele, I think. I think it depends a thousand percent on your clientele because estate planning I mean, you're, if you're talking about a $200 billion estate, <laughs> there's going to be plenty of very lucrative legal work, I would think. Maybe I'm oh, wrong. Yeah. I don't know. No, no, there's a whole, there's a whole market dedicated to asset, no, estate management. And one part of that is estate planning. So, okay. My only problem is that I found you after I already applied to 20 schools in November, dot, dot, dot. I took the Princeton Review LSAT course and improved my 151 diagnostic in July by eight points, leaving me with an official 159 from the October LSAT. At the time, I thought that it was a great improvement, but after listening to you guys for a while, I think I sold myself short. Yeah. Glad you found us. Cause Almost certainly. Yeah. 151 yeah. diagnostic. Like, why can't you end up in the high 160s or 170s even? Yeah, 151 is a great diagnostic. I mean, you, you made eight points of improvement despite Princeton Review. Not because of Princeton Review, but despite <laughs> Princeton Review. And yeah. you're, yeah, I definitely think you're, hold, you're, you're selling yourself short if you stick with that 159. Yeah, Taylor continues, I think I have the horsepower to get into the mid-high 160s. I would say you have the horsepower to go even higher. Yeah. My UGPA is a 3.55, so I realize that I'll have to improve my LSAT score in order to make my goal of free law school a reality. My questions are as follows. One, what should I do with the offers I get from schools I've already applied to this cycle? Should I try to renegotiate or should I ignore anything that comes my way this cycle and focus solely on 2024? I know that since I applied in November, money is like is likely not going to be coming my way except possibly from some of the lower level law schools I applied to. Well, 
I, I would just, I would clear the slate, just get rid of all your applications. I don't even care. You're going to be in such a different realm next year. I just don't even yeah. think you should waste your mental energy on any of it. That's the headline. Ben wants you to just burn the boats. Like don't yep. just withdraw. You're not burning these bridges. Remember, you're just you're, you're all you're doing is saying it's not the right time for me. That's all they need to know. It's not the right time for me. I'm withdrawing my applications. Yep. And then work on the LSAT, retake, get a much better score, a comeback next year. Many of the same. You probably won't even apply to some of these schools, to be honest. Like you applied to some lower, low, low schools. Those schools might give you an offer like they might give you a full ride this cycle. But you don't want to go to those schools. You don't you don't know what your actual ability is like. You're selling yourself short in many ways, Taylor. I mean, just like you're you're closing career doors by even considering any of these schools this cycle. So that's the big picture. I don't I think she's wrong that. The applying in November means you're not going to get any offers. I mean, I think the thing she's really doing is it's the 159 that is going to get you bad offers. That's the problem. Yeah. So, I mean, and November's not optimal. Sure. We do try to encourage people to apply in September. But the 159 is just devastating. That's way more important than the application timing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I agree with Ben. I think you should like protect yourself from yourself. Ben, Ben has, you know, Ben doesn't buy a lot of cookies for his house. Because he's protecting himself from himself. You know me well, Nathan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like much easier to have strength once while you're in the grocery store. Yep. Than it is to. You know, oh, I'll just ha just to have them just to have them on hand just in case, you know. Well, yeah. OK, now 10 p.m. every single day for until those cookies are eaten, your brain's going to be like, hey, you know, you do have cookies over there in the cabinet. Just one or two. Yeah, just, just have now it's late at night. You have less willpower. You're not as you know, you're what whatever tired and just you could make a bad decision. So. I just think like rip off the bandaid one time, just go through and withdraw all of your applications. I want to add another thing here. I've been listening a lot to Sam Harris recently, right? And I think you mentioned that you had as well. Uh, and he talks a lot about consciousness and what you're paying attention to in your consciousness, yeah. <laughs> what you're thinking about and what you're focusing on. And I'm coming to this idea that what you pay attention to is a very valuable, like you can use your attention on something valuable or you can just squander it, right? You can let life come in and pull you in all sorts of directions. And I think just thinking about these applications, even if it is to get the offer and then reject it, is a distraction that is not worth the limited and extraordinarily valuable resource you have your attention. Yeah. Your attention is the most valuable resource you have. I agree a hundred percent. And I had never thought about it before. I, I have known for a long time that it's really hard to wait for things 
it's a big distraction to wait for things. I guess maybe I had never thought about it that way, but like waiting to get your LSAT score back sucks. Mm -hmm. Waiting to get admissions decisions back also sucks. And I never thought about it before, but yeah, maybe that's why it's because, you know, you have this outstanding thing Mm -hmm. and we could even think about signing up for tests this way, right? Like when somebody has signed up for a test, you know how they get locked into like, well, that's my test date, right? Yeah, yeah. It might just be that like, because that's been on your calendar, that's been your, your develop, you're thinking about it every once in a while. And every time you think about it, that's what you're, you become. I mean, like, yeah. that's, that's your reality is yeah, that, 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 the things that's you think a part about. of your, that's part of your timeline. That's part of your life now. It's yeah, that's the universe. Like that's your story. And so for Taylor got all these applications out to all these schools, you know, and they're like, they're bad applications, Taylor, frankly, because you don't have the best LSAT, which is the, <laughs> the one most important thing. And you didn't get that part right before you applied. Yeah. So these are bad. These are bad applications by definition, but they're your applications. And so now you're going to be, yeah, it's so tempting to just be, well, I, I know I have these applications out probably every damn day. It's not just your mom and dad asking you about it or your friends, you know, Hey, you heard anything back from the law schools? It's not just them, but they contribute. But you yourself probably wake up. I wonder if today is the day that I'm going to hear back from so-and-so law school. And then yeah. every moment you spend thinking about it, it becomes you become it. It becomes you like that's your yeah. that's your world. So then it could incline you to make bad decisions later because it's like even if so, like one of these schools gives you a bad offer. Well, it's a bad offer, but it's your offer. It's your reality. Like that's your thing. That's your thing mm. that you've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. And then you read it carefully and they say all these nice things to you. And then you start thinking, well, do I want to do this again? Do I really want to go through all this again? Or, you know, that's a good, that's an okay school and that's an okay offer. And then you just end up kind of carried away continuing down that path and even if you make the right decision and ultimately decide not to go and you say hey sorry now is not the time for me how much of your time did you spend dancing with that stupid well, idea how, how many times literally during your lsat studying did you have any passing thought about those applications yeah you know, like it's just human nature. You start struggling with a question. Next thing you know, you're thinking, oh, boy, if I just get a good offer from so and so school, then I don't have to think about this stuff anymore. Yeah. And if you think that that stuff isn't happening to you, you're wrong. I mean, that stuff is happening to you. Any amount of meditation. And now I've been on a pretty good streak of meditating every day for yeah. months. Yep. And if you do any any kind of streak of of meditation at all, you, you start to notice how your mind works, how quickly it goes from one idea to the next. Oh, you and have then a I thousand trace it back. random yeah. thoughts in a minute. Yeah. And so and I wonder how I got there. And, but now I'm starting to realize where I got there. I'm like, Oh, that was the thought that originated this random chain of events that got me all the way to this whole thing that got me yeah. carried away to, you know, I mean, and it can like, 
it's like it takes over your body, right? Next thing you know, you're like rummaging around, getting your keys to go do something that you, you know, think you have to do. Or even you just, your mood changes. You can feel it. Right? Uh, yeah. You're a little more tense, just a little. And then you're like, wait a sec, let go of that idea. And all of a sudden you're a little more relaxed. I think it would feel really good, Taylor. I think you would clear some mental space if you went and withdrew all of these applications. Because nothing good can come from these off. I mean, like what? One of the schools gives you a miracle full ride. Yeah, but it's still going to be a lower ranked school than you're going to get into yeah. for free at some other school. Like yeah. a lot lower ranked. I know we yeah. don't care about rankings generally, but. <laughs> but we care about the upside a lot. Like we care about, yeah. we, we care about the, there are really good outcomes that are available for people like Taylor. And the law schools will push people like Taylor into an immediate application right now to my school with the numbers you got. Yep. And they want your money. Yeah, they want you as their student today, but a better plan for Taylor would be get all your ducks in a row for a real broad application early in the cycle with your very best LSAT, then see all of the their, their shit is possible. You know, we get emails from people like, hey, I got into Yale. I can't believe it. I, I don't know that Des, does Des say I can't believe it? I I mean, Des is first generation. It's an incredible story, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And who knows? Like Taylor might have no idea that those things are even possible. Well, Taylor's still talking about a mid to high 160s, and I think Taylor could go higher. So, Taylor, you got to keep expanding what you think is possible so that it becomes possible. Yeah. And you just do that one point at a time, Taylor. I mean, we got to get you to yeah. 160, then we got to get you to 165. And then we got to get you to 170 and maybe 175. I don't know. But like if if you yeah, with a cold diagnostic of 151, settling for a 159 on your official is, I think, tragic. Yeah. Uh, Taylor's second question is, assuming I do apply again next cycle, what should I do with the other aspects of my asp application? I already have my personal and diversity statements written and I have three solid Letters of recommendations, letters of recommendation from professors. Do I write two new statements and get new recommenders? If I've listened to you enough, my guess is that you'll say they don't really care. I, it's just, like totally yeah. to me. It's you're asking the wrong question. Like I, you don't have to think about that, Taylor, until August. Get your best LSAT score. Yeah. That should be the one and only focus yeah. of your law school application right now. Yeah. You, uh, you don't, you do not need new letters of recommendation, new personal statement, maybe depending on, you know, what you've done in the intervening time and you might want to present yourself differently. I have a feeling that, you know, six months from now, eight months from now, when it comes time to actually apply, you might look at that document and go, oh, yeah, that's not how I want to present myself now. But but all that, that comes bridge, after the LSAT. Yeah. Yeah. LSAT first, Taylor. And yeah, I really do think 165, 170, 175 even is possible for you. And then come back to all that stuff. Yep. And I suspect that your writing might improve by then, too. Sometimes when you come back to something six months later, you're just a better writer especially after improving your LSAT score so much, 
you're just better with words and you may take your statements and just edit them, not rewrite them, but just make them even better. Yeah. Okay. Taylor ends. I'm very lucky to have found you guys. Thanks for spreading the news about free law school. It is life-changing, especially for first-gen students like me with no deep connections or prior knowledge to the admissions process. I plan to restart my LSAT prep with the demon in January to get my best possible score. There we hey, go. Hey, that's the best thing you've ever said, uh, at least in this um, <laughs> pursuit, and yeah. go for it. Yeah. And the thing you can do right now today, Taylor, to make yourself feel way better and just clear up a lot of space in your brain is to just go through and withdraw all those if they ask you why, just say it's not right, not the right time for me yep. and don't, don't worry about it. Just, yep. just do it. Get it behind you. And then All right. update us. We want to hear from you. So this is, uh, looks anonymous says, hi, Ben and Nathan. I hope this email finds you well. I've been with the demons since fall of last year and have been studying for the LSAT since May of 2021. I was previously with one of the big test prep companies, which was an utter disaster. I write to you today after having already taken the official LSAT three times. Yikes. My last test being my highest score at 160. My undergraduate GPA, having now graduated this fall quarter, is 3.7. I've already taken your advice and decided to defer from applying to law school so that by October 1st of 2023, I can hit the ground running in the application pool. I think you meant to say September 1st of 2023. And some for some schools, schools, it's August. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. some schools opened applications in August this year. So um, maybe a little earlier than all that. But I don't want to stress about that too much. The most important thing is the LSAT. And right? people always come with this. So, so Anonymous continues, this gives me time to write all the required application essays with the highest level of quality and detail that they demand and arguably even more importantly to take the LSAT at least one more time to make myself the most attractive law school applicant I can be. Arguably. Not arguably. Huh, <laughs> no, it is the most important thing. And you're saying at least one more time. Yeah, at least one. I mean, if you knock it out of the park and you're done, but I'm going to assume that you need to take it twice. Yeah, you have two more attempts, it sounds like. You've, you've taken it officially three times. You can take it five times in five cycles. So you've got two more shots at it. What you need to do is get prepped this next time. You know, don't waste these official attempts. But the fact that you're bringing up, you know, it just makes me laugh because Taylor is also talking about application essays, right? And now Anonymous is talking about application essays. Why do you think so much about the stupid essays? I mean, like LSAT and GPA is king here and GPA is set in stone for most of you. So LSAT is the thing that you need to be thinking about. I think, you know, it's totally natural. It's a checklist. And when we look at a checklist, everything is the same font size. And we think for some reason that they're equally important. It's not explicitly thought. It's just conveyed in the yeah. inherent presentation of the list. But the list that you created a year or two ago with the astronomically sized font for LSAT and GPA is really <laughs> <was> how... <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite bits. I want to bring that back. I love that. Yeah. The the law school application checklist where number one was LSAT and it was in like 60 point font. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. other things were like in 
10.5. Yeah, we need we need to get that. That's a that does a nice job of conveying what's important. And even then, I don't know if the the size difference you had there was correct, right? What is how much bigger is LSAT compared to these other things? Possibly 10, 20 times bigger. And so we need a font that's 20, 20 times bigger. <laughs> but but even more than that, potentially, because yeah. it's not just that it's an order of magnitude more important than the other elements of the application, which I think rough rule of thumb order of magnitude, I think, is probably fair. It's not an order of magnitude bigger than the GPA, right? GPA might be about the same, but LSAT yeah. and GPA are an order of magnitude more important than any of the other elements of the application. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to do all those other things. They're necessary. But the thing that's going to really make a difference to schools is the LSAT and GPA. And LSAT's probably the only one you can change. So LSAT already should be 10 times bigger. But LSAT is also the thing that takes the most time. Like doing that other bullshit does not take that much time. It's not that hard to write these essays. Yeah. But for the LSAT, uh, we have a hundred, we have 99 full length practice tests, roughly 400 logic games, 400 reading comprehension passages, a couple thousand LR questions. Just to clarify, it's 5,400 LR questions. Sorry, 5,400 yeah. LR questions. That's a couple. Yeah. And yeah. another couple thousand. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, like you might take months to prep for the LSAT. Yeah. So why are you talking about any other thing? You know, it's like, well, in order to get listed in the um, record books, I have to uh, climb Mount Everest and then I have to fill out the application to get in the record books. <laughs> so I'm going to get to work with the application right now because I want to make sure that I have it. What it what does anonymous I say? Think, and I think it's probably the good to get interviewed. level of quality and detail that they demand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, OK, the, or you. Like could maybe start training for climbing Mount Everest. Yeah. Which and, the LSAT and that's is actually a Everest. good analogy. That's a great <laughs> analogy because Everest is challenging, but there's the prep that goes into it, right? Oh, that's the, the saving money. Yeah. And scheduling time so that you can even begin the physical climb. Yeah. Questions. This is this one's underlined. My first question for the both of you is whether I should take the LSAT this coming February or April question mark. What about March? Do you have any insight as to whether either of these test dates generally attracts fewer test takers? OK, so Ben is already vigorously <laughs> shaking his head and yelling what? I'm going to speed through this next paragraph because okay, this yeah. the, all this next shit is just indicates that Anonymous does not know what's going. Anonymous is reading random bullshit on the Internet and wildly leading him or herself astray. Yeah. Um, Anonymous says, I'm trying to place myself optimally, though I know they say the LSAT is equated within the curve so as to give myself the best chances possible. <sighs> The, the reason for the February or April test date binary is that I'm unable to take the LSAT in May or June as I am a paralegal for a public defender and will likely be at trial during this time. Wait, but isn't there a March LSAT this year? I, I think so. I don't know Let's why you're not talking about March. 
Also, you said you're likely. Doesn't mean you won't be. Also, who cares? Like, you need to start practicing the LSAT and let your practice tests indicate when you should be looking at an official test. Yeah. And it's stupid to think I'm in trial in May and June, therefore I can't take the LSAT in May or June. Yeah, you can. Get prepped now and take three hours off uh, on a Saturday to take the LSAT in May or June. If you start prepping now and you get ready on your way there, then you can take the LSAT even when you're in trial or whatever else. Wait, so there is no March LSAT. There's January, February, April, and then June. I don't see a May. Oh, so there's not a May even. Mm. It's January, February, April, June. That's the four we're looking at right now? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) Anonymous goes back to, uh, I also do not wish to take the test in August, as I know this to be one of the test dates that the majority of prospective law school students flock to in light of it being in the summer just before school starts again. OK, I want to fully disabuse all y'all. The number of test takers is completely irrelevant. Who cares? There Does is no matter. curve. The test is scaled, so the difficulty of the test is determined before you take the test. And it doesn't matter if you're the only one taking it or if a million other people take it. If a million other people take it, it doesn't matter if they are smarter or dumber than you are. It's not going to change your score at all. I don't you know who you're to listening realize, to, yeah. but you, <laughs> wherever, whatever source is talking about any of that stuff, Anonymous, you can just unsubscribe. Look, also to the degree that these tests scaled scores change from test to test, you got to realize that your test is three sections pulled from previously administered experimental sections. And that's where so, they determine the difficulty of that's the- where they determine the difficulty. So these these three experimental <laughs> sections were spread out over previous tests, not the tests you're taking right now. So don't listen to any of this garbage. <laughs> yeah. It is pure. It's like going to a psychic and asking them uh, who knows whatever. Yeah. None of that Sorry is you relevant believe at in that. all. You, you got to start start practicing. When your practice test scores get to a level that you're happy with, then you should be looking at the registration deadlines and registering for an upcoming test that works for you. Yep. Anonymous continues. Additionally, what would you recommend schedule wise for weekly practice? I should mention that on my practice tests, I've been scoring in the mid to high 160s, even having scored within the low 170s on some occasions. And generally try to study an hour a day. Well, that's all great. I don't understand why your high official is 160, though. Maybe you've improved a lot since then. One hmm. hour a day. You know, the free version of LSAT Demon has access to all sorts of um, helpful stuff. And you might even just be able to Google it. I wrote a blog post called One Hour LSAT not very long ago. I bet if you Googled One Hour LSAT Demon, Uh, that blog post would come up and you can get a sample study schedule for how to spend your roughly one hour a day. You know, we're looking for one hour a day minimum. So sounds like you're doing an hour a day. That's great. It's a mix of drilling and timed sections and thorough review of all your mistakes. There's your study schedule. That's all really you need. Yep. It's the first search result, by the way. I just searched for one hour LSAT demon. (laughs) Okay. 
Furthermore, would you recommend applying to reach schools even if it doesn't seem like you'd have as strong of a chance at getting in, let alone receiving scholarships? For reference, I'm contemplating whether or not I should be applying to schools like USC or UCLA. I know the answer is going to be dependent on what I end up scoring and is likely a matter of one's priorities and if one is willing to pay full price, which I am certainly not. Okay, you could have cut all that anonymous out of your question. You answered your own question. It depends on your LSAT. From where I am now, having utilized the Demon's Scholarship Calculator, it seems that to allow myself to get scholarships from some of my target schools without having to pay more than I should, my baseline is the more than half scholarship mark, I need to raise my score by at least a few points. Wait, you've scored within the low 170s? You want to improve your score by at least 8 to 12 points. This student might also think that if they, you know, that like they're going to, there's a myth out there that people are going to score lower on their official than they did on their practice tests. Yeah, you could actually score higher. It could be your best score ever. It could be your best score ever. Yes. Mine was. I mean, I didn't. Yeah. I scored my highest ever on my official LSAT. Anyway, this is all kind of rambling, honestly. A specific school that I have my eyes set on is Loyola Marymount University in L.A. The calculator says I should get a more than half scholarship if I raise my score by two to three points. Yeah, but you don't want to pay half tuition or 60 percent tuition at LMU. That's that's a school that you probably only want to go to if you get a full ride. So yep. raise your score by eight points and get a full ride. Which you're fully capable of. You've already scored in the low 170s on a practice test. Keep shooting for that. I apologize for this long-winded essay of an email, but I so appreciate the time you are taking to provide your wisdom and insight into this matter. Any help you can provide is more than appreciated. Thanks for all that you both do. All the best. Looks like it's anonymous. Do you accept that apology? <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's already over. <laughs> I do too. But I would also like to suggest that rather than apologizing for a long-winded email. Yep. Go back. <laughs> you you could have cut out, I swear to God, you could have cut out two thirds of that and it would have said the exact same thing. This is an interesting, actually, commentary on apologies, right? Because if you, if you apologize for something, what you're saying is, I regret doing that. Yet, if you haven't sent the, the crime email had yet, not yet been committed. Yeah. yeah so if, if you're serious about your apology, then you can go back and preempt the crime and obviate the need for an apology. Yeah, it's like hmm. a, uh, you know, I remember I had friends who were Catholics and they would be like going out on a Saturday night. And, they, you know, it's like, well, but, you know, I'm going to definitely be going to confession tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> like before they went out <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> they're planning on that i don't know that that's how that system is supposed to work really um yeah anyway thank you for writing in anonymous <laughs> i don't want to be a dick about it but yeah it's an interesting thought about apologies yeah. okay this next one is from joseph i'll read it hey ben and nathan i just recently oh wait the subject is addressing a low ugpa Okay. With two G's, probably a typo. Hey, Ben and Nathan, I, re I just recently graduated undergrad last year, but I have a low GPA, 3.36. 
I had a number of C's in classes that I didn't spend on the time on that I should have, but all that is in the past and hindsight is 2020. I was wondering what your thoughts are about maybe trying to take some extra classes at a local university to increase this GPA before applying. Wait, you recently graduated, so as far as I know, these classes aren't going to help. I've considered taking some classes that I would find to be less challenging in order to boost my GPA. I was one class away from being a double major in Spanish, but after four attempts at the class, was unable to successfully complete it and ended up dropping my second major with the higher GPA down to a minor in order to graduate on time. I didn't know if you had any suggestions on how to get my GPA in a good range for my applications or if it is worth being (laughs) concerned about at all. I'm currently in the 150 to 155 LSAT range, but I am not taking until I am at least in the high 160s. Any thoughts on my situation? Uh, I don't think there's anything this correspondent can do, right? Joseph is stuck with a 3.36. Yeah, and this is why the LSAT is so valuable as like a... I, I'm not saying it's perfect, and I'm not saying that it doesn't benefit rich kids in its own way, But the LSAT also has a way of leveling the playing field for people like Joseph, who got into undergrad without probably any plan of going to law school, had low grades in undergrad, doesn't really understand the game. Joseph, PSA, once you've graduated, your UGPA is set in stone for law school admissions. So doing more classes is not going to change your UGPA. Sorry. It is what it is. You can go ahead and upload your transcripts to LSAC. They're going to tell you what your GPA is, and it's not going to change no matter how many more undergraduate classes you take. So Joseph is like unsophisticated relatively in the law school admission system, as was I when I applied a first generation college student. And it's unfortunate, you know, Joseph probably law school was not in his plan. Uh, Or even if it was in his plan, he didn't have advice. He didn't have anybody helping him. He didn't he doesn't have, you know, fancy resources that are help that are like guiding him to a quality law school application. The LSAT here is really the only thing that Joseph can do. Yeah. And if Joseph, if you take the time and you prep adequately for it and you take it seriously you know, you mentioned you're not taking it until you're at least in the high 160s. Who knows? Maybe you end up scoring in the 170s on your official. And like, that's the thing that's going to really resurrect your law school application. We have a confessional theme today for whatever reason. The LSAT is a form of penance. <laughs> <laughs> penance. Yeah. I mean, I'm not thinking about penance at all. I'm, I am thinking about you know, for for the people who are like, we got to get rid of the LSAT because it's unfair. I, you think undergraduate GPA is fair? It's so crazy. How many people going to undergrad have no clue? This is exactly what you're talking about. They have no clue. And what what groups of people are more likely to go into undergrad without the resources to really knock it out of the park? Or even have thought about grad school, knew that grad school was a thing, had any idea how the grades work to for for applications to grad school. You know, I, I think we we have a hard enough time, like getting kids to graduate from high school. Right. 
And then the next thing is like, well, you also we want to try to get you to go to college. And then so many of these kids and I was one of them. I always knew I would go to college. My parents hadn't gone to college, but it was clear that I was going to go to college. But grad school, I never even contemplated grad school. You know, yeah. I'm relatively fortunate compared to many people, of course. I don't know. I just I got to keep hammering on this point that I, I will never believe that getting rid of the LSAT would be in any way like justice. Mm -hmm. I do not think that that is like would increase fairness in the world in any way. Do you have any more thoughts about that? No, I mean, it's the same point that those 60 deans were making, I think, in their letter opposing this change to get rid of the LSAT, that, hey, look, if you get rid of it, law schools are necessarily going to have to turn and give more weight to other factors, which are even more susceptible to bias than a standardized test that everyone has to take. <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem. It has problems. The LSAT has problems, but the alternatives are worse. That's the issue. Yeah, because I mean, even UGPA. So UGPA has these same big problems, which is how how about kids who aren't really prepped for college don't have any resources? Have how to work through college. To whatever. Yeah, yeah, had to work. Exactly. Don't have super expensive private tutors. So and then that, and that's only looking at the numerical uh, component. But then the next thing that they probably start looking at is the names of the colleges you went to. Absolutely. <laughs> they already do. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now and it's like, just going to be given more weight. You want that to happen? That was the point that the I, I never realized that. But that's why the LSAT was created, because initially Law schools were just looking at Ivy League applicants and saying, okay, well, you went to an Ivy yeah. League school, we'll accept you. So they needed some way to pull people out of other programs. Yeah. Yeah. And the Ivy League schools, I mean, they have applications. What are they looking for on their applications? Well, what prep school did you go to? Yep. Yeah. How did you get into the Ivy League program? Well, again, this right. heritage so, system. Yeah. yeah, the whole idea of these these tests is like, let's make it more fair by making these legacy kids take a test. Yeah, Are we, they going to be we're clearing the board? We're saying, hey, everyone yeah. has to go through this challenge and anyone can step up to it regardless yeah. of their background. Yeah. And even if the legacy kids are like naturally better prepared, better bet like they're for a million reasons, more yeah. inclined to do well on the test, even though that's true it still adds more fairness to the system to add this test that everybody can take and actually to weight it pretty damn heavily. Cause there's many of these other things, you know, the private prep school record and the Ivy league name on your transcript that so many of those things are just impossible for, for so many people who do have the opportunity to take impossible, the literally impossible, unachievable. Yeah, yeah, you but you can. Well, you just didn't even grind know it, it out with the LSAT. Yeah. Yeah. But later in life, you know, yeah, when they're in their 30s or 20s or late 20s or whatever, they have this whole life that they've built and, you know, community college and graduated from San Francisco State and they've got a job. And then later in life, they decide they want to go back and take the LSAT. Well, they don't have this like prestigious resume, they don't have the prestigious transcripts, they don't have a good UGPA. 
but they might be able to work their asses off and kill the LSAT. And if they can kill the LSAT, then all of a sudden it's like, well, this person is in the conversation, maybe. Yep. And they're going to get pulled into the uh, industry, which is the goal. Anything else? No. Thanks for writing in, Joseph. Be LSAT famous. Please ask questions or share news with us at, LS at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 382 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.